This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. Our aim is to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. This episode, we speak with the owner of a company that designs and creates airline safety cards. We also talk with a T-Mobile manager about an interesting new product for air travelers. It's coming up right now. Welcome to the Airplane Geeks Podcast. This is episode 728 of the show where we talk aviation. I'm Max Flight, and with me is our main man, Micah. Hey, Max. Great to be here again. And boy, do we have something special for our listeners this week. We do. We have two guest interviews this episode. Now, both were previously recorded by Micah and Brian Coleman for the Journey is the Reward podcast. But there's a little something extra. Yeah, if you heard it on the Journey is Reward podcast, and as of when we were recording this introduction, only one was broadcast, but if you heard either of these interviews on the Journey is the Reward podcast, listen to them again, because there's a little special extra for Airplane Geeks listeners in there. That's right. Now, uh, first we're going to hear from Tricia Ferguson. She's owner of the Interaction Group. Now, that's a company, Micah, they design and create airline safety cards. Yeah, they do. You know, something you don't really think about, even when you pull the safety card out of the front of your seat, which I always do, and you look at it, you never really think about where they come from or how they're designed and even how they're printed. And this interview was just fascinating. Tricia was great, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. And then after that, we have your conversation with Steve Carlson, who's the senior manager for communications with T-Mobile. Now, at first, I'm thinking, hmm, T-Mobile... What's the uh, what's the aviation angle here? But there is an aviation angle because T-Mobile is the uncarrier, and we have a lot of carriers that we talk about when we talk about aviation. We talk about carriers in a lot of different ways, but T-Mobile is the travel carrier, and we'll talk about why in that interview. And there's also, again, something very, very special in there, even if you've heard this interview before. That's right. Both of these guests have really kindly offered Airplane Geeks listeners an opportunity to win something interesting in a giveaway drawing. And later we'll explain just exactly how you can enter for a chance to score yourself a giveaway. But first, the interviews. We'll start with Tricia Ferguson, owner of the Interaction Group. Mike and I are here with Tricia Ferguson of the Interaction Group, and we're going to be discussing one of the items on the plane that people should read, but probably don't. And that's the safety card. Well, wait, Brian, because if people are reading it, that Trisha hasn't done her job right. But but we'll get into that later. <laughs> that's so true. Trisha, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's it's great to be here. People see these safety cards all the time, oftentimes just ignoring them. But there is so much more to them than just this piece of cardboard or laminated cardboard. What got you involved in the idea of becoming the company that makes safety cards? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, I'm the CEO of the Interaction Group, which is the leading global designer and creator of airline safety cards. The company has actually been in existence since the late 60s. It incorporated in 1971, and that was before I was born, truth be told. For me personally, I started working for the company. I was a freshman in college and just trying to pay for the last few meals to eat while I was scraping <laughs> my way through school. And I got a job as the office manager and I was here for about three months and I absolutely fell in love with aviation. I'm sure you guys can relate. Yep. And I fell in love with aviation. I fell in love with doing business all over the world. And we have been doing business all over the world since our existence. And fell in love with airplanes and the community and the details and fell in love with the product, which is meant to save lives. So that's the short answer to how I came to be with the company. Safety cards fascinate me. I mean, I always look at them because, you know, I'm out of my mind and I'm an aviation nut, but I'm also counting rows to exit. Art. You know, when you look at a safety card and suppose you're flying just a 737 and you're on a 737 from one airline, you look at the safety card and then you go to another airline, you're flying that same aircraft, the exact same type. It's a different safety card. 
who decides what graphics go on the safety card? What must be on there? Is it, is it the airline? Is it the aircraft manufacturer? Is the FAA involved? What standards do you have to meet? Yeah, it's really a combination of multiple people and groups and organizations. It takes teamwork to really create a safety card that is effective and clear. Certainly, you can be flying a 737 even within the same carrier. We partner with American Airlines, and you can be flying on one of their 737s and get on another 737 on your second leg of your trip and have very different content because there might be different vests and rafts and locations and things. So there's so many details that go into it. The contributing organizations and groups are the airlines themselves, the regulatory organizations in which the aircraft is certified. So like say in the U.S., that would be the Federal Aviation Administration, Canada, Transport Canada, and on and on to where the aircraft is flying and where they're certified. There are very specific things that have to go on a safety card. And then there's also recommendations from us. Again, we consider ourselves experts in what we do. The company is the originator. The Interaction Group is actually the original company to create illustrated safety cards back in the late 60s. So we did that as a result of the incident and accident surviving rates back in those days is really what pushed the original owner and founder of the company to start this. He was working at Douglas Aircraft at the time. But the organizations that go into contributing to the content are regulatory agencies, the carriers themselves, and then we as experts in the field make recommendations. What a lot of people don't realize is a safety card on passenger airliners are a must-have item. If yes. there's not a safety card in every seat, that plane can't take off. Correct. Yep. But again, typically, no one pays attention to them, or, or at least I don't see people opening them up. You know, what's really interesting is that there's been really ebbs and flows to the attention paid to safety cards over the years, right? And even to the passenger safety briefings, we also were the first company to do the first ever passenger safety briefing video back in the 70s. And, you know, it goes through ebbs and flows, I will say that, you know, when you get on the airplane and you sit down in your seat and you begin conversation with the people next to you, inevitably somebody says, well, what do you do for a living? And when I tell them what I do for a living, of course, the first thing they do is grab the safety card and <laughs> tell me how they always read it. <laughs> You know, uh -huh. that's two hours into the flight. But it is such important information and it is really important to pay attention and listen and really consume the information that you need in order to be aware of your surroundings should you need it. It's that situational awareness, right? It's the, you know, which is the ability to identify, process, and comprehend critical information ideally prior to an incident and an accident. Well, they also have to be of a certain size, don't they? They have to stick up above. Uh, they have to be completely visible, meaning you, I guess you have to design the size or the height of the card based on individual seat pockets. Correct. You have to be able to visually see the type of aircraft and that it's a passenger safety briefing cards. It has to be in front of, you know, any other materials that are in the seat pack pocket itself. Yes. Determining the size of the card, for example, with the 787, there's the dash 8, 9, and 10. Yes. So who determines if there's going to be a separate card for each of those aircraft? Is that the carrier itself? Is that the FAA or the governing body? Is it you guys? Who determines which card's going to be in which aircraft? That's really determined most often by regulatory requirements. There's so many details in each particular aircraft that oftentimes you have to have different cards for the same aircraft type. But there's many scenarios where you can keep one card across your specific fleet of your aircraft. If you are, say, like Southwest probably is a carrier that has the least amount of variance because they fly 737s. And then, you know, some of our partners who are large, large carriers have 20, 30, 40 different versions of cards. And it comes down to the regulatory requirements most often. I still think with Southwest, you say they only fly 737s, but they fly the 700. 800. Yes. They have maxes now yes. in various variants of the maxes. So they have quite a few different aircraft. 
They do, but they, but they have the same exits, right? So when you're talking about how many different cards that you carry, if you are a carrier who sticks to one life jacket type and one raft type and one floor proximity lighting type, and your aircraft are all configured similarly or as similar as they can be, you can reduce the amount of versions you need in your fleet. So okay. unlike companies like United and American and some of those who have many different aircraft types. It seems like they can also become souvenirs for passengers as well. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting anecdote. There is a huge, huge, as you all are aware, I'm sure, a group of aviation memorabilia collectors and safety cards are a hot commodity. We get emails every single day. They want the Shah of Iran card from the late 70s, or do we have any samples of those still in our warehouse, which we do. Or they're saying, hey, I was on this flight or I'm starting a collection. And so it's it's huge. It's it's fun for me, obviously, because I'm passionate about safety cards to talk with some people who are also passionate about it, but difficult to manage. I actually am speaking at, in 2023, one of the largest international aviation memorabilia collectors. So I'm living my, my high school prom queen dreams and hoping to be... <laughs> Hoping I'll get a tiara or something. (laughs) (laughs) Made out of aviation cards. We'll see. I'll I'll make one for myself. But it'll be fun because it's, you know, they're passionate about what we're passionate about and I appreciate it. So now most people think of safety cards and they think of commercial aircraft. Mm -hmm. But are you making them for other industries as well or trains and buses and other forms of transportation? Great question. We do provide um, aviation safety cards for airlines and carriers and aircraft of all types, right? From Piper aircraft to A380s. We've done thousands and thousands of privately owned aircraft and charter carriers in addition to commercial carriers. We do sometimes uh, also put safety cards on cargo aircraft if the carrier is having passengers or employees on board. So there is some need. They are Depending on the size of the carrier and the passenger to crew ratio, there are different variables that go into what is required as far as content and information. So the content varies some. We also have partnered with numerous different industries in that what we title critical information design, right? Taking really complex concepts and paring them down into simple instructions. And we've done that with some high-level security firms for high-rises, for biomedical companies who are looking to communicate effectively. We've done it for Burlington Northern, some of the rail. We've done it for some maritime and also from inner city transit, whether that be rail, bus, or light rail, things like that. So we've done it for numerous different agencies. So are these placards that you're developing or are you doing cards as well? It's a combination of both. Okay. Yeah. Or it's manuals or it's safety manuals for companies and security firms to sort through. One of your clients is American Airlines. And I guess their latest aircraft or one of the latest is a 787, which is a reasonably new airplane. Mm -hmm. So when a new airplane comes out like a 787 and you are creating the safety card for it, how do you go about doing it? What do you look at? Do you work with the manufacturer? Are you working with the airline? What's happening with the FAA? What's the process? of coming up with a new card for a new aircraft? We do both, actually. And uh, we will work with the manufacturer on some of the specific operations, say door operations and anything that might be a little bit different. And we work with the carrier themselves and we determine with them what type of equipment is on board. But truthfully, because we've been doing this for so long, for so many carriers, for so many different aircraft type, very seldomly do we have to really go back to the drawing board per se and illustrate a brand new door operation, unless it's a new manufacturer. Most manufacturers use very similar door operations that they've had on previous aircrafts. The 787 has a very familiar door for Boeing. And so it was a pretty streamlined process. How we will create a new card is that we will send the carrier a list of questions that help us determine what type of equipment is on board. We create the safety card that we start drawing a custom design 
uh, using artwork that we've already had tested. We do comprehension testing here at the interaction group. And we kind of start piecing together a custom design for their particular aircraft. So with a new aircraft, if it's something we haven't done before, which happens very seldomly, but when it does, we'll work with the manufacturer. Speaking of getting back to the drawing board, I'm assuming some of these graphics need to be updated from time to time. Some of the things that I've seen over the years is inclusion of different people, different skin color, different dress. How does that factor into making of these safety cards? I'll speak from our standards and our policies and procedures. Our standards is that when a passenger gets on board, they have the opportunity to see someone who looks like them. And we have determined um, through some human factors testing with some different groups that if people see themselves in the illustrations that they're observing, they actually take more time to consume the information. Mm -hmm. So we will think about the average passenger on board that aircraft in that region and custom design and lay out different dress or hairstyles, color diversity for that particular carrier. We also have standards here at the interaction group to make sure that our diversity standards are met, and that is in age and size and race and sex. And so we have those standards here that we are constantly fighting to meet our customers' requests and also to exceed our policy and procedure here. So I guess the cards would change or be different from, you know, American Airlines to Egypt Air to Ethiopian, and and, and, and it means... a lot of different kinds of publishing, but why not, for example, just like use stick figures? So we have discovered again that um, if people can relate themselves in what they're observing, they consume, they take more time to consume the information. We also believe that an illustration of the human body is much more effective than um, stick figures are because sometimes you lose motion with stick figures right? Or you lose the location and position of the hand, whether it's under, uh, you know, it's, it is pulling from underneath or it is tugging from above all of those little nuances that are really important that might not seem like it, but it, a matter of seconds could be a matter of lives. It really fascinates me how you put this all together. I said, if people are reading it, then you're not doing your job because there's really very few words, if any, Correct. that I can remember on, on, on the card. That also frustrates me personally. It has nothing to do with most people. I do much better from text than from illustrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were people like that as well. So you have to take all those things into consideration. You know, when I'm looking at an instruction manual to put something together, if it's illustrations, it's like I have to look it up online and find the step-by-step word-by-word thing to do. You don't really have time to do that on an airplane. So how do you take those things into consideration when you're making a card for for people that are better with text than are better with with pictures? So that's the one of the main reasons why the company was founded on the on the uh, value system that we were founded on because reefing cards back in the 60s and prior to that were mostly text. And the comprehension rates and the consuming of the information was actually very, very low because you have a broad spectrum. It's still the case. There are certain left brain, right brains that that consume information differently. But when we're thinking about the largest selection of passengers in America, the average individual reads at a fifth to sixth grade reading level. And to communicate such difficult concepts accurately at that kind of reading level is very, very difficult. So that's one of the reasons why we made that change early on. And we still, to this day, try and avoid having as much text as possible because you also run into things like language barriers and there's different cultures and different languages that read right to left versus left to right. Arabic languages, some of them do and and Asian languages. And so you have to take into account getting information across to everyone with also keeping the card as simple as possible. Because the busier the card is, the less we take the time to consume it because it seems overwhelming. What about for people that are not sighted? Do you make cards in Braille? We do. In the uh, 1980s, early 80s, we did a huge study with the National School of the Blind and worked in partnership with 100 blind individuals ranging in age from five years old to 85-ish years old. 
And we created Braille cards that there are a couple of different versions. And there's some countries that require Braille cards on board. Canada does, for example. The U.S. does not yet, but there are some on board. So we create Braille cards and we also create uh, cards for the sight impaired passengers. So somebody who may not be completely blind, but just has visual issues. So then are those cards that the flight attendants would have stored in their locker to hand out on an individual basis? Yes. Uh, Carriers, most often, depending on which region you are in, will actually give blind passengers a personal briefing when they are on board. They can supplement that personal briefing with the safety card. And the safety card is Braille, is mainly text, of course, but there's also a tactile map. You know, it's difficult to understand the concept we discovered through testing years ago of what an airplane looks like and a cabin looks like if you are blind. And so to provide them a tactile map that gives them locations of exits and orientation for them is an amazing thing. It reminds me of the old phrase, have you seen the elephant, which is talking about people who have been in battle and they describe it as seeing an elephant. Because if you've never seen an elephant or if you're a blind person, you could not possibly understand what it might be without having seen it, just like battle. And it's the same thing, trying to describe an airplane. If you've never seen one, how do you explain it to someone who's never? Yeah, we take it for granted. Let me ask you a really geeky question. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> but but it's 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 not it's not airplane geeky. It's, okay. it's 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 printing geeky. Yay! What kind of printing stock do you use? I mean, the cards have to survive folding and bending yeah. and wetness and maybe chewing and teething and I mean, yes. what kind of things do you take into consideration? How do you find a printer to do it, and what is it printed on? Well, I will say we have yet to find material that withstands bubble gum. That's uh, that's a complaint we get sometimes <laughs> from carriers. The stocks vary slightly. We almost all of the cards start with some form of a card stock, right? So the 12 point weight, which is kind of that thicker paper. Some carriers do laminate their cards and some of them fold. Some of them are flat. Some of them are single fold, trifold. It just depends on, again, how much information is needed. But we most often start with a 12 point cover weight stock paper. In the company itself, did I read that you actually own or have purchased a print company. So you have a printer where you physically print the cards themselves. And then what printer do you use? Yes. When I took over ownership in 2002, we were strictly just a design company and we were outsourcing all of the printing. But of course, this is a regulated item. And so there's need to have on-time delivery. There's need to be quick. There's need to turn effectively. And so I, at the same time, bought a bunch of printing equipment and picked up some amazing people that were in a local college that were trade professionals in the print industry. And we started doing all of that in-house. And so we've had different equipment over the last 20 years of my ownership. We've had a Heidelberg QMDI. We've had um, Heidelberg web presses. We do a ton of work on Konica Minolta Digital these days, which is totally... I mean, the printing industry has changed rapidly in the last Mm -hmm. 25 years. So four color process, offset, digital. We've got a few different types of machines and and bindery equipment like cutters and folders and laminators. And it's louder. I know that. Do you ever enable people to go on a tour? We have. And I'm asking selfishly at this point, because if I'm ever in Washington, I'd love to stop by and see the facility. Yes, we have. And um, most often people look at everything and then they say, "Okay, just show me where the the droves and droves and droves of archives are so I can look through all the cards. You know, the original hand illustrations of the very first hand or very first illustrated, you know, seatbelt illustration ever to exist is out in our warehouse. And it's, it's an interesting place. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely create a museum out of that. I'm certain. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. If it wasn't an idea, I just gave you one. No, we've, we've thought about it before. Again, we love, we love people who are passionate about what we're passionate about. It just amazes me. I have a friend that does some printing and I'm surprised you're not like on a thick Tyvek or something like that, that you can't tear, you can't pull apart. I mean, is, is it a cost issue when it comes to things like that? So we have used and do currently use for some of our clients a synthetic that is an anti-tear, anti-rip. 
the usage rate on those is actually substantially higher than it is on laminated cards. So ultimately, most carriers make the decision to laminate to keep the cards on board longer. But we do offer that. It is a really beautiful stock. It's also really clumsy in printing. So there's a lot of waste and a lot of overs. And so there's, you know, an additional cost. And I can't remember what airline it was that I was flying on, but instead of having a safety card, they actually had the safety information printed and it was adhered to the tray table. And I thought that that was a really good idea because it's right there in your face. And yeah, there's a combination, right? And there's different reasons why carriers would want to do that and why they wouldn't want to do that, right? Maybe from a not making a passenger nervous at the same time, you know, having it right in front of you is really effective. It was probably a Ryanair or a Valeris something. I was thinking it was a Velo maybe, but I don't know. I, I, yeah, I can't remember who it was. I just remember it was really interesting to see that. Avalo has some beautiful cards on board their aircraft. <laughs> hmm. I think they might be a customer. They might. They they <laughs> Pretty much all of the startups in the U.S. have beautiful cards on their aircrafts. How often do they generally need to be replaced? Do you know? Have you done studies on that? Yeah, here's a geeky statistic for you. Are you ready? The average usage rate of a laminated safety card is 0.75 cards per seat per month. If it's not laminated, it's about 1.5 cards per seat per month. But the usage rates really vary, right? It depends on if you are carrying a lot of business travelers who have less tendency to fiddle with safety cards or take them as souvenirs or uh, less likely to maybe be traveling with children who might spend some time with them. Or if you have a lot of holiday vacation travelers, those tend to disappear more than business travelers. And on private aircraft, it's a different statistic of usage rate. It's very low. I can just see you talking to the executive at the airlines that's doing the cost benefit analysis based on whether it's going to be laminated or not laminated, yeah. giving them that statistics and working that all out. It's got to be just crazy. Do they change from laminated to not laminated at different times of the year, perhaps when they're replacing them based on, you know, the travelers going to Florida for Christmas or whatever? They don't. For cohesiveness and for branding and standard within a carrier, they usually, I'd say almost always, 99% of the time, make the decision to do it one way or the other. How often are they replaced from where, or do you know how often they're replaced from where versus being stolen or taken as a souvenir? That's a statistic that's really difficult for us to determine. And, you know, we're always working really hard to make sure that it fits in that seat pocket um, so that it's not, you know, damaged by the tray table or, you know, so there's in that space. So the damage isn't an issue, but that's a statistic that's really difficult for us to really determine. Do you have to update them? Once once you've created a card for an aircraft, do you have to update and change that card for that same aircraft? Or is it going to be the same until that aircraft is retired? We do update them and we update them for a variety of reasons, right? A regulatory requirement might come out. For example, you know, there was an, a recommended practice that came out from the FAA about a brace position and there was a big study done with CAMI and the FAA, and they determined that the brace position should change slightly. And so uh, the airlines over the last few years um, have been updating that across the board. So we have to make changes to all of the briefing cards. Or the carrier could decide they want to go with a different manufacturer or they want to update their logo or they're going to invest in a different type of seat. And so we have to change the size because there's different pocketing. You know, there's a a variable of reasons, but they're most often, once you get a card approved by the regulatory, the government agency, you do your best to not change it unless you need to. So as our listeners know, we always try to find industry leaders when we're talking about a subject and and you guys are the best at what you do, but what makes you the best? What makes us the best is really our investment in the passenger sitting in the seat. We care about their safety. And truthfully, the most educated person, the in-flight departments, the airline personnel, us here at the interaction group, we are the least qualified to tell you if that safety card makes sense. 
right? We're the least qualified because we have the most information. So 50 plus years ago, the company set a standard that we would test every single sequence and every single illustration that we do when it first comes about for comprehension. And so we still, to this day, even when I took over ownership of the company in 2002 and became the CEO, we kept that standard. So all of our artwork is tested by a third-party organization. It's not tested by employees of the company. And we go through rigorous testing to make sure that it is understood. And if it is not understood by 90%, and the reason it's 90% is because that is the standard for human factors understandability testing. If it's not understood by 90%, we re-illustrate it and retest it. And so we are deeply invested in the individual sitting in the seat and their ability to understand and get the information they need should they need it. So do you do focus groups for that? And if so, can you sign me up? Because I certainly am opinionated over stuff. You are opinionated, but you fly so often, you may not be our target audience either, right? Um, I don't know. I sort of have mental issues, so I, I just, I just might be. <laughs> I, I can attest to his mental issues. We do focus groups when we're in the process, right? Where it's really collaborative and we're having conversations with different people. And then we actually send it out to a company that is not related to us at all because we want accumulation. We don't want anybody to feel like they have to tell us what we want to hear, et cetera, et cetera. You know, without giving away anything proprietary, if you can answer this question, what kind of testing are you doing? We talk about focus groups, but but what are you doing? How do you test for something like that? And what is your target audience? Yeah, our standard is really diversity of age, sex, and flying experience. And we test at least 50 individuals on each sequence by itself and also the card as a whole. And so we have a formula of questions that we go through. It's kind of like a a funnel form of testing. And we have a a list of questions that go into each sequence. And and the questions may vary depending on the content that we are testing. Do you have an aircraft mock-up that you put the passengers through as well to make sure that they can follow that flow and sequence and evacuate safely? Yeah, we have in the past and we've partnered with and been a part of many, many manufacturers Manufacturing evacuation testing, right? As as is well known, they have to be able to evacuate the aircraft within 90 seconds of a full flight of people in 90 seconds in order to get it certified. And we have partnered in that regard. We also have partnered with different manufacturers, life jackets, life rafts, things like that to certify their equipment. And so we have at times put a mock-up in our warehouse facility that also houses our complete uh, commercial printing aspect of the business and put people through it. But it's actually better if we test individuals because when you get on board an aircraft and let's say, you know, I flew last week and I was in seat 10, you know, seat 10 is is between exits. So when you're consuming the information, you don't have access to a visual or a tactile opportunity to touch it. And so we really are testing people who have very little knowledge or experience with the equipment because that's the reality. What about disabled people? I mean, people with missing limbs or mobility issues, people in wheelchairs or people have to use walkers. How are they accommodated in this? You know, that really is more of a cabin crew opportunity for them to give them individual briefings and or resources. There are not um, safety cards that are specific to people with disabilities, although we do have safety cards that depict people with disabilities on them. Yeah, because I don't think I've seen one. And Hmm. I don't know, I sort of feel as though today we've evolved enough where we should. Yeah, I'll send you one. Along those same lines, you've been the CEO of the Interaction Group since 2002, did you say? Correct. I was very young. <laughs> so you must have started there when really when you were 10 years old, but, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. But, you know, the, the aviation world and you're working in the aviation world, it's been an old boys network for years and years and years and really only recently has kind of changed. And I guess what's it like being a female CEO in a world like this? You've got to be some issues that you've encountered. And is there anything you can tell us about that? I appreciate the question so much because it has been difficult at times, especially when I was not just a female female, but I was young. And so there was a constant, I don't know, fighting is the right word, but there was a a constant kind of navigating of garnering respect 
and also being seen as a partner versus maybe being someone who was uh, not educated or not experienced or looked differently than most people in the space. Early on in my career was almost always, if not always, the only female in the room, And whether that was visiting with clients and carriers or whether that was in SAE, uh, NBAA, um, Flight Safety Foundation, all of those groups that we have partnered with and been involved with. Early on, it was very difficult to feel so lonely in the space and having to navigate that dynamic. And and surely I did run into issues. I have been really blessed to be able to see kind of things change a bit. In fact, I had a meeting about three years ago with Spirit Airlines. We were down in Florida and we were working through a project with them. And it hit me in that moment that here's five individuals in a room working on this project and we were all women. And it was one of those moments. It was amazing. And I have, I have had amazing mentorships from men in the industry and amazing partnerships. So this is not a, a negative on one way. It was just, I wanted to acknowledge the positive change. And I just stopped the meeting and I said, can we just acknowledge this for a minute and just celebrate the hard work? I have a huge heart for women leaders and women CEOs as a whole, and especially in the aviation industry. And I'm hoping to connect with some groups that are making a difference. And I see a bunch of them are, which is amazing. The Airplane Geeks in general has always supported and done our best and even made some donations as the Airplane Geeks to women in aviation. We we really work to, to keep that up because there's just, you know, it, it's getting better and better, but it's still not where it should be. And, uh, and we, we just... Um, I wanted to mention that because it's got to be difficult. I can't imagine what it would, what it's been like for you over these past 20 years. It's been unique and that's the best way to say it, but you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. Again, I've had some amazing mentors and amazing partners in this journey of mine. And I am thrilled to see that there is not just more diversity between male and female, but more diversity of all types coming to the industry. And it is spectacular to watch it happen. And I can't wait for what the industry looks like in 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things on the show that we focus on is really trying to promote women in aviation. And you said before about the diversity on the safety cards where people, when they see themselves on a card, they could relate better to it. And I really think that that's part of what we do on the show here is promoting women. There might be a mother or father with a small child and they can listen to the show and the parents say to their little girl, see, you can do this. This career opportunity does exist. And fine, she might not go into the field of aviation, but yet she knows that she could be a CEO someplace else. And I think that's just really great. It's so important. And I really, really struggled early on to find when I was creating the company board, when I took over ownership, it was impossible for me to find a female CEO that would partner with us because there were so few and those that were, were so busy. And so mm-hmm. I'm just grateful again to see the change and I wouldn't change it because I love, love, love this industry and I love what we do and it makes a difference. And I love our partners and the carriers. So I wouldn't change it. That's great. I don't know if it's okay to say, but I'll say that being a lady in the aviation industry made me a pretty tough chick in life. So Tricia, you know, you're an Av Geek. Brian and I are Av Geeks and we have Av Geek listeners from all over the world. And we've talked about how these safety cards are sometimes um, stolen. Rather than have people steal the safety cards, do you think you might be able to offer our listeners something special? I would love, love, love to do that. We would love to put a box together that's specially curated for the Airplane Geek and podcast world. And so what we'll do is we'll put some what we consider our archived classic cards from different carriers between the last five, six decades and some new things. And we'll also include what we call our original cell drawings. We'll pick one drawing. Oh, wow. Original hand illustrated piece of aircraft equipment that is on a safety card or has been on a safety card in the last 50 years. And we'll include that for you. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. So Our pleasure. 
So if you're interested in that and that appeals to you like it appeals to me, and no, I promise I won't keep it, send an email to the geeks at airplanegeeks.com and we will pick a winner at random and uh, send this box of amazing illustrations and safety cards to you. So fun. Yeah, Tricia, thank you so much for the kind and generous offer. I'm sure our listeners will love it. Yes, absolutely. So Tricia, Thank you so much for joining us here on the Airplane Geeks. It's been a fascinating conversation and I can't believe how complex these cards that I take for granted really are. It is a journey in details, that's for sure. I am so thrilled to have been a part and I wear the title Airplane Geek proudly. For the Airplane Geeks, this is your main man, Micah. This is your global traveler, Brian. Fly safely. What did I tell you? Wasn't she great? Yes, yes. People will collect anything. Any object that can be collected, people will collect. And there actually is a fairly large community of people who collect airline safety cards. So not only will they find that an interesting conversation, but uh, for, the, for the rest of us uh, who are maybe are not collectors, it really is an interesting peek behind the, the curtain, as it were. But there's more. What do we got for him, Max? That's right. Next is Steve Carlson. He's the Senior Manager of Communications for T-Mobile. So here's the conversation that he had with Micah and Brian. So today, Brian and I are speaking with Steve Carlson, who's a senior manager of communications with T-Mobile. Yes, that T-Mobile. Now, why would we on an aviation show be talking with someone from T-Mobile? Well, Brian and I are both longtime T-Mobile users. We've both been together with T-Mobile for years and years and years, and it's definitely the travel carrier. Now, we'll get into that a little further. But first, Steve Carlson, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, This is a real treat. And uh, yeah, how interesting for a phone company to get into the travel industry, right? Well, phone carriers are in our lives completely in one way or another. But if you're a traveler, you need to have a phone carrier that you can use everywhere easily all around the world. And you certainly can with T-Mobile. Let me go over some of the benefits of T-Mobile. And I, now it's not that we're selling T-Mobile here because there are other carriers that are good. I find that T-Mobile is the best, as is Brian, which is why we're with T-Mobile. But it also depends on where you are and what your signal level is going to be. And in some places, I have to say, it's not always the best, although I haven't had any problems with T-Mobile since I've been with them. But there's no contract with T-Mobile. The customer service is absolutely outstanding. When you call, you get somebody and they typically know what they're talking about. And if it matters, they're based in the U.S. as well. Absolutely. But there's more. When you travel with T-Mobile in over 210 countries, you don't have to do anything if you want high-speed data. If you're on a max plan with T-Mobile, there are different plans, but the max plan is one of their top plans, you get five gigabytes of high-speed data in over 210 countries around the world. And when that runs out, you continue to get two gig data. And it's for free, which is the bit that I really like because I tend to use a little bit of data when I'm traveling overseas and the free data certainly helps. And if you want to be able to get a little bit more than that, if you want to be able to keep your phone number and make phone calls while you're overseas, it's just not that expensive. It's really a great deal compared to a lot of other places. You don't have to change SIM cards. You don't have to change your phone number. But wait, there's even more. Currently, T-Mobile offers, if you're in the USA, one year of AAA membership at no additional charge, one year of Paramount Plus free Netflix membership at no additional charge. Recently just added free Apple TV Plus membership at no additional charge. There's T-Mobile Tuesdays. And let's not forget, one of the newest things is the in-flight connectivity, except for sometimes on Brian's planes, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that rollout to happen with United. I know the uh, press announcement has been made, but it seems like every flight I'm on, uh, they haven't launched it yet. But before we get to that, Steve, did I miss anything? Tell us about T-Mobile as the travel carrier. Oh my gosh, I could not have said that better myself. Thank you for that intro. Um, and I'm not just saying that, that was a remarkable rundown of our benefits. Thank you so much for for opening with that. That is one of the reasons why we got into this in the first place. We understand that your phone is your lifeline. It's, it's what connects you to work and play and family and friends. And when you're traveling, you need that connection. You know, we need it just as much when we touch down in a new country as when we touch down in, in a domestic city or when we're just, you know, hopping around the country. 
you expect your phone to work. Like we need it everywhere we go. And with our travel benefits now, when you land, um, as you were saying, in more than 200 countries and, uh, and destinations worldwide, it just works. You open your phone, you turn it on, and you've got data. You're setting up your restaurant reservations, you're confirming hotels, you're getting your ride share set up from the airport in a foreign country. That's one of the things that we expect to have it now when we're traveling at home. And let's take that same experience overseas. It's just the peace of mind when you're in a foreign country that you can connect to the things that are important to you. That's certainly true. When I fly internationally, I've worked for a company where I've had to have a company phone and the company phone was on a different carrier. And we'd have to arrange ahead of time to have an international calling plan added. It was often an additional $40 for that month covering the period of time that I'd be gone. And it just seemed like such a waste to me. Very rarely will I actually make voice calls when I'm overseas. So just having that free data is an incredible benefit, at least for me. And that's why I've had you guys as my personal carrier for so many years now. Thank you. Yeah. And when I talk to pilots and flight attendants, when I'm traveling, more often than not, they're probably T-Mobile customers too. We've been offering travel benefits now for, oh, geez, going back to our simple global days, which feels like an eternity ago. And we just keep adding on to that. We just, we find new uh, benefits. And as the travel experience changes, I mean, just think about how the Wi-Fi experience has changed on planes over the years. And you guys know better than anyone, you know, if you remember the days when we used to hop on a flight and and you couldn't do work at all. You know, there was no Wi-Fi connection. And, you know, it was actually, I thought it was kind of like bittersweet when Wi-Fi started to come out because it's like, oh, now, now I have to do work and work can reach me. Um, or I have an obligation to, to do work now that I have Wi-Fi. Of course, I'd completely done a 180 on that now. And now I, I can't do without it. I mean, I get frustrated if for some reason that it's not available on the flight, but we want to be connected. And we we can stay ahead of things when we're connected on our flights. And for instance, if you're traveling and, and uh, you've got a connection coming up and your connecting flight gets canceled, if you have Wi-Fi on board, you're able to make that change to your itinerary before you even touch down. Whereas the other folks who are maybe trying to make that same connection aren't going to realize what happened until they land in their new destination. So lots of advantages to being able to stay connected all the time. Absolutely. And if you use the Flighty app, that gives you the most incredible information about flights and you can do that while you're on board. You can do that when you land. And the other amazing thing about T-Mobile is that, yes, sometimes you do have to make a call while you're overseas, but you still don't have to switch SIM cards. You may have to pay a little bit more, but by using that high-speed data that you're getting for free and using the T-Mobile app, you can immediately pay $5 for a one-day pass for unlimited calling within the country that you are or back to the USA. That's for one day. If you want it for 10 days, it's $35. If you want it for a month with an extra 15 gigabytes, it's $50. It's really an incredible bargain. Just a fabulous, easy way to travel. And if you want to do it just based on the per minute basis, it's 25 cents a minute. And I remember making a phone call way back when on the GTE Air phone, and that was $5 a minute. So 25 cents a minute for a phone call in another country is actually a bargain in comparison. But that's enough on the sales of T-Mobile. That's not why you're here, Steve. The reason that you're here is because T-Mobile is such a travel carrier that, well, you tell us. Thanks, Micah. Yeah, earlier this year, we launched now our current suite of travel benefits. And this is the coverage beyond. This is what you spoke about at the, the beginning of the podcast, talking about our uh, high-speed data in the 200 and plus countries and destinations, the free year of AAA, the free in-flight Wi-Fi. And we wanted to keep that story going. We're already the carrier that keeps our customers connected. We also, you know, we talk about we keep you covered when you're traveling. So why not create something that keeps all of your stuff covered too while you're traveling? And we came up with this idea of what we call the uncarrier on. And it is a carry-on suitcase, hard-sided. And it is the first carry-on suitcase that includes wireless charging. So you just slip your phone into this little cubby on the top of it. And if you have a wireless charging phone, for instance, or a wireless charging device, it just starts charging up. We partnered with a New Jersey-based company called Samsara Luggage to create this. And they're already innovators in luggage technology. They were the perfect fit for us. We worked with them, like I said, to create this first ever wireless charging carry-on suitcase. We call it the Uncarrier-On. It's bold and bright magenta like T-Mobile is. 
I've been using one myself for a few weeks now. It's wonderful. It's a mobile. It's got TSA approved locks. We'll talk more about the technology in a little bit, but needless to say, yes, you know, T-Mobile, the phone company is now T-Mobile, the luggage innovator. Well, this is actually pretty scary that it's New Jersey manufactured because both Brian and I are also New Jersey manufactured. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, this is a, a real Jersey boy kind of show now. Steve, a question I had for you, getting into the luggage business absolutely seems like a thing that your former CEO, John Ledger, would have done and supported. This is not something that I think a traditional CEO would support or endorse. So how did this project actually come about? It's actually the next step kind of in how we use these creative moments um, with our brand to draw attention to or, or to help share the story of something else that we're doing. Um, some good examples of this over the years. When we launched our 5G network a couple of years ago, we're a couple of years ahead of AT&T and Verizon in 5G deployments across the U.S. And, and that's a whole nother story for another day about the technology behind that and why we're, we're ahead of the game here. But it's a story that's difficult to tell to consumers. Being able to convey the benefits of 5G and, and even to help consumers be aware of the differences of it and why 5G is important, it's a challenge. So we developed a gin product. We called it 5Gin. It was a T-Mobile labeled gin product that helped tell the story of our 5G network. As in, I'm sorry, as in gin, as in a gin and tonic? As in gin and tonic. It was T-Mobile 5 Gin. And for us, we had, like I said, all of these wonderful travel benefits, and we wanted to keep the story alive. And what better way, we thought, to tell our story about our travel benefits than through something physical and an actual travel companion. We thought, okay, well, let's, let's create something that people could really use, something they could really benefit from, but let's do something really innovative about it. Coming up with a wireless charging carry-on was the solution here. So we're not just slapping T-Mobile Magenta on an existing product. We're actually taking something that hasn't been done before and making it real. And that's what's been really neat about this so far is the wireless charging part. It's got Bluetooth luggage tracking built into it in the form of an Apple AirTag. Regardless of where you are, you can always tell where it is. If you have to check it for some reason, you always know where it goes. So it's got some really neat things built in. It's not just like another you know, colored suitcase. Now, first of all, wireless charging on the case sounds absolutely wonderful because you're always, you know, when you need to charge something, you're looking for the cable, you're looking for the plug, you're looking for a place to plug it in. But this means... It, or your battery. The battery is built in to the carry-on and there's a someplace right on top of it. You just put your phone down and you're charging up. That's just a brilliant concept that I can't imagine. How did you come up with the idea? Was it there before or that you not stole from someone but borrowed from someone? Or was this something that T-Mobile said, we want to be able to plug this in. I don't remember the exact light bulb moment, but it was it would have been between discussions with Samsara and our, and our team about what was possible. Like, what could we do technologically that hasn't been done? And the wireless charging had uh, come to the forefront there. It's a really solid battery. We're talking 10 hours of power. It packs a lot of uh, juice in it. And when it's time to check the suitcase, you just pop it out. It's spring-loaded. It just pops out the top. You, um, take it on the plane with you. You can continue to charge your devices on the plane then too. And when you land, if you need some additional power with your off to a meeting or wherever you go, just take that portable battery pack with you. It's got a USB-C charge on it too. So if for, let's say you don't have a wireless charging phone, not everyone does. There are tons of great phones out there that don't have wireless charging yet. You can use the USB-C cable to charge whatever other devices you have. And USB-C is pretty ubiquitous now. I mean, most devices either use USB-C or you can get an adapter for USB-C in just about anything nowadays. And what's great about it is that this isn't proprietary wireless charging. This is a wireless charge that will work with any phone, not just MagSafe or Apple phones. It, it's a non-proprietary charging system that you can use with any phone that can take wireless charging. Now, the case itself, is it a two-wheel case, four-wheel spinner case? Can you describe the suitcase itself a little bit? Yeah, it is a hard-sided four-wheel spinner case with a telescoping handle. It is a bright, bold magenta. You can't miss it. It's T-Mobile all the way. We've even got little T-Mobile logos on the, the four spinner wheels. And it is on the high end of the carry-on size spectrum. I mean, it's 22, I think, and a half inches 
by 15 by about 10 inches. So it, it's spacious, I believe, as you can get or close to it for a carry-on suitcase, which personally I like. I, I, um, I've always felt like, well, if you're going to get a carry-on, you might as well get the biggest possible size. Um, exactly. I've, never, I've never understood why there are so many smaller carry-on options out there. It packs a lot. And then we've got these eight packing cubes that are included in there too. And that's just convenient. I'm a, a total type A neurotic packer. I, I, I'll pack a week before my trip. And uh, I, you know, having these cubes and having everything organized, separate bags for shoes and gym clothes and things like that, it's just, that's, that's right up my alley. So I love it for that. And it's got some TSA approved locks too, which is kind of nice. It's just one more thing on it. Oh, those packing cubes are a great add-on. It really makes it far more convenient to pack things up because you can, if you know what cube is what, you you certainly know where it is and it makes things fit in the case a lot more easily. Definitely. One of the things that is always of concern to me in buying a suitcase, well, I don't check my luggage, do all carry on all the time. Therefore, I probably overpack my suitcase a lot and weight becomes important. And there are some suitcases that I've purchased over the years where if you put too much weight in them as you're rolling your suitcase through the airport, the wheels heat up and then you end up with melted wheels. Yes, I've melted wheels before. And so therefore, do you know how much weight the suitcase is rated to carry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know the exact rating, but it could certainly hold everything that you would need and still get under the weight rules at the airport. You know, one of the things that I do love about it that you mentioned and we haven't talked about is that the fact that it is magenta colored. It's not that I love magenta because of T-Mobile or I love magenta in general, but most suitcases are black. And when you lose a suitcase and you go to report it, you say, well, it's a black suitcase. And the person taking the report will look at you and go, yeah, okay, what else is new? Or when you're on the baggage claim and you've checked your bag and you're looking for your bag, it's black. And they're all black, but this is going to pop. You're going to know it's yours. Now, hopefully within the next five years, you won't know it's yours because they're all going to be T-Mobile suitcases. But I just think it was a brilliant idea to come out with T-Mobile Magenta. Yeah. For some reason, let's say the, the battery dies on your AirTag and you you don't have immediate knowledge of where your, your suitcase is. If, if push comes to shove and you have to describe that suitcase um, you're not going to miss it. And when you're on that carousel, you know, if you do have to check it for one reason or another, um, it will stand out amongst the sea of black for sure. You're trying to make magenta the new black? I, you know, it, <laughs> in T-Mobile, that's already the case, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we've got a ways to go there, I think. But, you know, we got to normalize magenta. Just make it so, something that people are just accustomed to seeing everywhere. And uh, eventually we'll do that. You said it has the AirTag technology. Does it actually come with an AirTag in it, or is it a technology that uses AirTag that you've worked with Apple on? Yeah, it ships with an Apple AirTag already. But certainly if you prefer Android options, it's got the space in there where you can drop in a, a different type of Bluetooth tracker. So it includes the AirTag, but you could you could go the Android option if you want to also. We're talking about a bargain here because it comes with the packing cubes, which if you buy on your own are going to be rather costly. A single AirTag is $25. A good carry-on piece of luggage is going to be expensive by itself. How does somebody get this case if they want it, and what does it cost? Yeah, uh, we partnered with Samsara Luggage. They were already known for quality and for technology built into their uh, suitcases. We partnered with them, and we set up a website. It's travelmagenta.com. You can go there. You can check it out. You can order your uncarrier on there. They are $325 for what you'd pay for like a really nice suitcase anyway. And, and as Michael was saying, you've got the AirTag already included in that. And the uniqueness of having the first ever wireless charging carry-on. I mean, that's pretty slick in and of itself. So go to TravelMagenta.com. I believe you can also get them through Samsara Luggage's website if you happen to be there shopping also. And uh, it'll link back to TravelMagenta.com. You can order them there. Like I said, you know, check it out. We They're available now. Um, they are for a limited time um, until we sell out. And uh, so if you're interested, uh, I would certainly do it sooner rather than later. And do you know what the warranty is on the bag? I believe it is five years on the suitcase itself and one year on like things like parts, like wheels and things like that. I think there are two camps when it comes to suitcases, those that like pockets and those that don't like pockets. I know that it ships with uh, packing cubes, which is great. Are there also a lot of pockets inside the bag or is it just one cavernous suitcase? It does have a like a one zipper kind of liner on one side of it, 
that uh, you could put some stuff in there. I think that also just separates the the luggage compartment, though, from where you would access the AirTag, for instance, because the AirTag compartment is actually accessible only from the inside of the suitcase. You can't access from outside for security purposes, which makes sense. It's not loaded up with zippers on the inside. It's mostly about the uh, the packing cubes. Yeah, I'm liking this more and more. <laughs> you had talked about the case being available for a limited period of time. Is this going to turn into a collector's edition? Ooh, that would be pretty slick if it became like a a must-have. But yeah, because it's limited edition and we don't know when we're going to run out, um, I would encourage folks to go to TravelMagenta.com, pick one up now or two. Um, because we don't know how long they're going to last. And, uh, you know, it's a busy travel season right now. So uh, people are thinking about this stuff. They're thinking about, do I want to, you know, update my suitcase? Um, is it time for something a little bit different? I've got a wireless charging phone. This would be the perfect companion for it, for instance. Um, so I would um, I would act sooner rather than later, if they say, while supplies last. I'm also really interested about futures. Getting into the luggage business is an interesting twist. Do you guys have any plans to get into the backpack business as well? That's a great idea. Um, See, okay, you guys need to hire me. That's all there is to it. <laughs> you know, getting into something new and different, like disrupting the backpack industry, for instance, would be an interesting way to go next. You know, because we've tried some different things over the years that have helped break through to our customers and, and to potential customers with our story about things like the growth of our 5G network or in the case of the Uncarrier on um, all of our travel benefits that we rolled out earlier this year. Um, that's not to say we don't have more coming up. We would certainly you know, be open to any ideas you guys might have, especially in the area of travel, because that's what you guys know better than anyone. And um, you know, our, our travel benefits are here to stay. What's not to be or what's not known yet is what that next, that next interesting project is going to be once the Uncarrier on is done. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us here on the Airplane Geeks podcast. We really learned a lot. And again, T-Mobile is just the way to go if you're going anywhere. Thank you so much, Mike and Brian. This has been a real treat. Um, we love talking about the fun things that we're doing. And uh, this has been a uh, it's been a labor of love to develop a suitcase, like I said, for the first time with wireless charging. That, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen accidentally. And uh, we have some really interesting and, and fun and exciting things always coming up. So this has been this has been a lot of fun to talk to you guys about it today. And we're just proud to help you make Magenta the new black. Someday that's going to be the case. It is the case. It's the suitcase. Thanks a lot, Steve, for being on the show. Thanks, guys. So we've got one more special thing for our listeners that is incredibly generous, and we can't thank you enough. And that is, well, Steve, why don't you tell us? Yes, we're going to make an uncarrier-on suitcase. This is the first ever carry-on suitcase with wireless charging built right in and Apple AirTag smart tag technology available for free and a giveaway to one of your listeners. So if you're interested in the best carry-on suitcase from the best carrier in the world, as far as I'm concerned, send an email to the geeks at airplanegeeks.com and we will pick one entry at random. We will send you the brand new Magenta Uncarrier suitcase with wireless charging. We're going to be giving away one at random. So send an email to the geeks at airplanegeeks.com. And Steve, thank you so much for that generous offer. It's really great. Oh, hey, our pleasure. This is uh, you know an exciting and fun thing that we get to do over at T-Mobile, and we're happy to share it with another one of your listeners. For the Airplane Geeks here in Portland, Maine, this is your main man, Micah. And this is your former associate producer, contributor at large, global traveler, Brian. Fly safely. Well, that was something. Yeah, wasn't that amazing? You know, and now look, I know that in that interview, it sounded like I was a salesperson for T-Mobile. And I did say, yes, I'm a T-Mobile user and I know Brian's a T-Mobile user. But we did this because we really believe what we said. You know, a carrier varies. It depends on your location in terms of the kind of service that you get. But if you're in a place where you have good service from T-Mobile, I have found that their service is spectacular. Not just the service in terms of the carrier, but the service in terms of calling them up and getting the help that you need. Good people. And again, what a fabulous giveaway for our listeners. Absolutely. Now, how do you enter the drawings for the giveaways? Well, if you're interested in the safety cards, send us an email to thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com and use the subject line safety cards. And similarly, if you're interested in the carry-on, send an email to the same thing, thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com with the subject line 
T-Mobile. Now, something to bear in mind if you're interested in the uh, T-Mobile luggage giveaway, the Uncarrier carry-on. And because this is a big, heavy thing to ship, we can't ship it outside of the USA. So we have to limit this giveaway only to listeners from the USA and the U.S. territories and those that might be shipping to an APO address because we can only really ship if it's going to be shipping to a U.S. address. In the body of the email, we'll ask that you answer a question. Why do you listen to the Airplane Geeks podcast? Just tell us your thoughts, whatever comes to mind first. We'd be interested to hear that. And you know what else? Let's ask. Hmm. Let's find out how long they've been listening. That's great. How many years? How many decades? How long have you been listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast? Now, we we have a deadline for this. It's not open-ended. Micah, when do people have to have their emails to us? Well, being that this episode is airing on December 12th, we figured we'd give everyone till the new year. Because it's a holiday giveaway, you need to have your emails into us by January 4th. And then we'll pick someone at random, two people at random, one for each giveaway, and announce that on the show on January 11th. I'm excited. I can hardly wait. And it's maybe it's worth noting also that when you're sending us an email, same is true if you're sending us uh, sort of listener comments, feedback on the episodes. We don't do anything with your email addresses, absolutely nothing at all. We don't collect them or consolidate them or, or do anything, use them in any way. So uh, you can you can feel safe in that regard. And then one more thing is that you don't have to send us your and in fact please don't send us your address and phone number now mm, yes. but we will contact the listener who wins and get back to them via email and ask at that point for you to within a week send your address and phone number so that we can get things set up to ship out to you. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast. This has been kind of a special episode, not our usual format, but uh, we had these giveaway opportunities as well as these interesting conversations with our two guests. And so we wanted to get those to you right away. You can find us, of course, at airplanegeeks.com. The direct link for the show notes is airplanegeeks.com slash 728. And our email address is thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. All right, Micah, anything closing? I think that's about it. I think I hope everybody has a great holiday season. It's really coming up on us fast. It is, it is. All right, so please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. And because David's not here tonight, I'm going to say thanks for listening. <laughs>